The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. June is LGBTQ plus Pride Month, a month that recognizes the 1969 Stonewall Uprising that took place at the Stonewall Inn in New York City. To honor this month, we have collaborated with the LGBTQ plus colleague network group at Cornell to create a special series called Beyond Binaries. Through this series, we will interview Cornell staff who identify as LGBTQ to share what pride means to them and celebrate the diverse lived experiences among members of the LGBTQ community at Cornell. My name is Anthony Sis. My name is Toral Patel. And you are listening to Beyond Binaries. Christian, thank you so much for joining us on our series, Beyond Binaries. And so just to get us started, for our listeners, if you can just share your name, where you work at Cornell, your pronouns, as well as other salient identities. So my name is Christian Balmaceda. I'm the Assistant Director of Enrollment and Admissions at Cornell Tech. My pronouns are he, him, his. And some of my salient identities, uh, I am Latino, I am a gay man, and I'm from New York City. Thank you for sharing that. So to get us started, I wanted to start us with a trivia question. So the question I have for you, and see if you know this, is which country holds the record for holding the largest pride parade in the world. Which country? Oh my goodness. I'm going to take a stab. Is it Israel? Different continent. (laughs) Different (laughs) continent. Do you want to take one more guess? (laughs) If it's not Tel Aviv pride, then it must be New York pride. Closer. Closer. (laughs) It's actually Brazil. So Brazil holds the largest pride parade. It has the record of holding the largest pride parade. And so... Uh, It says right here, Argentina may be the first South American country to legalize same-sex marriage, but Brazil takes the cake when it comes to hosting pride parades. According to the Guinness World Records, Sao Paulo's pride parade is the largest in the world. Every year, the parade welcomes millions of people around the world to celebrate the LGBTQ community. And in 2009, approximately 4 million people attended the Sao Paulo pride parade, breaking a record of 2.5 million attendees that was set in 2006 also in Sao Paulo. So they broke their own record, essentially. <laughs> That's, I don't know why that is so surprising to me. I was going to say New York first, but I felt like that was too easy. So that's why I immediately went to Tel Aviv. I guess it's just because in my own circle, those are the pride marches right. and, and celebrations that people talk about. Another one that I, I typically hear often too is Madrid. I hear like a lot of people go to Madrid pride mm. and that seems to be a pretty big one too. But so I initially thought Madrid at first, so Spain, but Nope, it's Brazil. So, little fact there. The more you know. The more you know. So, to get us started with this conversation, so we're here talking about Pride, Pride Month, what it means for members of the LGBTQ community, particularly staff here at Cornell. And so, just to kick us off, when you hear the word Pride, what words, feelings, experiences do you immediately think of? If I could define it in a word for me personally, it's confidence. The confidence to be able to be my, my true self. For so many years, I didn't have that confidence. I didn't come out to myself until after I had graduated from undergrad. 
and I'm, I'm fairly young. I mean, I'm, I'll be 30 later this year. So, you know, a lot of people my age came out in high school, came out during college, but it, for me, it took a little bit longer. I was a bit of a late bloomer. And so I always equate pride with just having the confidence to be, to be your true self. And of course, joy. I mean, if anyone who's listening to this, if you've ever been to a, a pride march or a pride celebration, everyone is just so, so happy. My first time walking in a pride march was New York City with the Queer Urban Orchestra, which I'm a part of. I play the violin in that orchestra. And everyone was just so happy. Like everyone who was marching, you know, we were in between two different groups and we eventually just became one big group with three different organizations. And we were all talking to each other while we were walking down the street. And it was just, it was so, so cool to see and something that I hadn't experienced myself as a kid. What year was that, if you don't mind me asking you? The Pride March, my first yeah, Pride March? Your first one, yeah. Was in 2017. Wow, so like not that long ago, yeah. Yeah, 2017. And then we marched again. Uh, I marched again with Cornell Tech, actually. Cornell Tech marched with students and faculty and staff one year. It was actually my first year working at Cornell Tech, so about four years ago. So it might have been 20, 2018, 2019. That makes me think of my first time ever attending a march. And I came out my freshman year uh, in college. And long story short, it wasn't the best experience in that I was essentially outed out by somebody who I was talking to when I was an undergrad. And so that kind of forced me to come out to my peers and other folks, my family as well. And so that summer, that was my first Pride March. And this was at a time when Queers for Economic Justice, the nonprofit organization that did a lot of work, uh, no longer exists. But I remember meeting a lot of people there. And I had a friend who was interning at the time at the organization. And so she was like, hey, do you want to come march with us at the parade? And I was like, for my first time ever, I was like, okay, wait, what? Like, <laughs> first time going to Pride and in addition to that marching. And so I, your story really very much reminded me of that experience and just how how liberating it was, right, to start off all the way in Uptown and then go down to the village and just seeing all these folks loud and proud and just so like joyful, right? Just so much, right. joy, so much happiness. And I, you know, for many years, I also felt very isolated in my identity and my experience. And so just knowing that there were so many people I didn't know who I could connect with just because we were at the celebration was so crucial, right? To like me really coming into my own and me accepting myself for who I am. 100%. Yeah. For me, so I, you know, I mentioned my one of my salient identities is that I'm Latino. My mother's family is Puerto Rican. My dad's family is Irish. So both very, very Catholic families. I went to a Catholic undergraduate institution. I went to Manhattan College, which was a wonderful experience. It's a great school, but there weren't a lot of openly gay people in my class. I wasn't surrounded by a lot of openly gay people. And I did have, I do have openly gay family members, cousins, aunts, uncles, distant relatives, but it, it, it was always something that was just never discussed, you know, like they would have their partner come to the house, but that wasn't their partner, that was their friend. And so that was, that was kind of my, my growing up experience. And it wasn't until my first pride that I started to feel comfortable and confident enough in myself to be able to say openly, I am a gay man, to be able to say, I have a boyfriend, to be able to, you know, confidently talk about that stuff with my family. Another part of my identity too, I'm half Puerto Rican, half Guatemalan. <laughs> and so, you know, you always do, I do remember family members or even friends just bringing other people were just kind of like, who is this person? And they're like, they're just their mm -hmm. friend. Clearly they mm -hmm. were not just their friend, right? So, right. yeah. Right. So, hence why we're doing this series so we can break those 
binaries down and those kind of rigid <laughs> identities of like they're just a friend no we could talk about it now it's okay 100 and i could talk for days literally for days about the role that machismo plays in all of this because you know that latin machismo is a very very real thing well hey let's, we- <laughs> let's, get, to it. let's get to it i mean I, one of the questions that i did want to ask you which is kind of later in the interview that i wanted to share and ask is you know what are some of the relevant issues that are affecting members of the lgbtq community and i think machismo especially from a latino latinx perspective i think is definitely one of them so why don't we dive into it let's go yeah, absolutely. I mean, from machismo was it played a huge role in the delay in me coming out. I felt like by me saying that I was a gay man, that I was less than, that I was going to be viewed as not a man. And that was that was part of the culture growing up. Not explicit, but there were a lot of, you know, insinuations, a lot of things that, you know, my grandparents would say to me and they love me for who I am. They are open and accepting of who I am, but just unintentional things that they would say to me growing up, you know, my mannerisms being too girly or, um, you know, just having the assumption that I am interested in girls. So always talking, you know, anytime that I was talking to one of my girlfriends, my grandparents would be like, oh, is that your girlfriend? Like, are you interested in her romantically? Little did they know, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. And, you know, they would have conversations with me about our relatives who are gay, who are openly gay, and not talk about them in the greatest light, you know, kind of make jokes about them. And and so it, it made it difficult for me to be able to accept that part of myself for a very long time. So just to kind of expand upon that, right? So I, I very much resonate with that as well. And so I'm just wondering, as somebody who is out now, has that changed? Has that shifted? Could you say particularly within your family or are there still are there still some barriers there? There are definitely still some barriers. It's certainly shifted. The relationship has shifted. My grandparents and I have a very, very close relationship. I have a close relationship with a lot of my family on both sides, on my, both my mom and my dad's side. I'm very fortunate. One of the things that was kind of a striking difference between my relationship with my grandparents in Ireland and my relationship with my grandparents here in the States who are Puerto Rican. When I was younger, I was maybe 23 years old, I went to go visit my grandparents in Ireland. I had a partner at the time, I had a boyfriend, and I surprised them. I didn't tell them that I was coming. And part of that is just my Nana is a crazy person and she would literally redecorate the entire house anytime a visitor was coming. Always new wallpaper, always new paint on the walls. And when I showed up at the house, the first thing that they asked me was, where is, where's your boyfriend? they were surprised that I didn't bring him with me. And that to me, like I'm almost getting a little emotional right now because that to me was like, wow, you're validating the fact that my relationship is just as normal as any other relationship without making it a big deal. Conversely, (laughs) my grandparents here in the States, when we would talk about my relationship, it was always framed as how is your friend? And it's still like that. I mean, I'm in a relationship now with a different person than it was back back when I was 23. And I love him very, very much. And we're very, I mean, we spend pretty much every single day together. He's such an integral part of my life. And when I go and see my grandparents, they do ask about him, but they, it's always, how is your friend? And I, can't, I constantly have to remind them, one, he has a name. <laughs> and two, uh, he's not my friend. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that. And and I just I was just curious personally for me, because like, like I said, I resonate a lot with your story. So thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing that with us and with our listeners. So I want to also, as we're thinking about pride, right? So it's it's celebratory. And I think when I think about pride for me, it's it's about those moments, right? There are certain kind of crucial moments, a lot of which you've shared personally, right? That kind of helps shape and frame who you are, how you express yourself as an LGBTQ person. And so can you talk about maybe that first moment where you felt truly represented and included, whether it was at work or in a different setting? Yes, absolutely. I'm going to answer that question. But before I get to that question, I want to circle back to something that you asked me that I didn't fully answer, which is what are some of the most pressing things that are affecting the LGBTQ plus community right now? And I I want to be very explicit in saying that violence against trans people is one of the biggest issues right now. And for people who aren't aware of it, or perhaps just had never heard that that was a thing or have turned a blind eye to it, I urge you to do some research because it's 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 pretty scary. I mean, the, the likelihood of a violent attack on particularly a trans person of color is astronomically higher than cis white men. And it's, it's, it's pretty scary. Now to, to kind of shift towards a lighter, uh, a lighter uh, topic in, in talking about when I felt truly represented for the first time, I think it was actually when I was working my first full-time job out of undergrad. I worked for a charter school in the Bronx, part of a nonprofit CMO called New Visions for Public Schools. They are very, very active, not just in creating charter schools, which is a highly politicized topic, but also opening up public schools in New York City. And so I was based at the, uh, the John F. Kennedy campus in, uh, in the Bronx, which is known as an impact school. So what an impact school in New York means is that it has a very high rate of criminal activity, thefts, fights, things like that. You know, attrition is also quite high in impact schools. And I worked within the guidance uh, counselor's office. I was the enrollment coordinator for the school. And I felt represented there, one, because I was amongst my peers. Uh, You know, everyone in the school was either Black or Latino, the students, but also the staff as well. Our leadership was very, very diverse. I mean, we had an Asian woman was our principal. We had a Dominican gay man who was leading, he was kind of the chief of staff. One of our assistant principals who I, at the time, really, really looked up to was a Black woman. And she was able to not just connect with the students in the school, but also connect with the staff as well in so many different ways. And why that mattered to me was, so I'm originally from the Bronx. I did uh, elementary school in the Bronx, but my family moved us up to Connecticut to Westport, Connecticut when I was in middle school because, well, New York City public schools aren't the greatest and they couldn't afford private school for three kids plus a mortgage. And so I went from being, you know, one of dozens of Puerto Rican kids in my school to being one of like two or three when I was in Connecticut. And there was a huge culture shock for me, a culture shock that took a long time for me to get over. I mean, there were a lot of microaggressions that happened. Students assumed that I was, that I didn't live in Westport, that I lived in another city and was being bussed in as part of the, um, their youth development program. It didn't resonate with them or it didn't occur to them that someone who looked like me could actually live in Westport. My mother is a, she's a black woman. She's a, she's Afro-Latina. And 
more than once, me and my brother and sister being biracial children, more than once, the assumption was made that she was the nanny picking us up from school. And so I'm, I'm the oldest, you know, my brother and my sister are younger than me. They were very, very little when all of that stuff was happening. But as someone who was cognitively aware of what was going on and the things that were happening and why they were not okay, it was tough. It was tough. So then to be able to go back into an educational setting where that didn't exist, I felt so comfortable. And I, I saw, you know, gay men in positions of power, which was, which was amazing. Yeah. Definitely want to rewind a little bit to what you mentioned about another relevant issue with the violence or trans people, especially trans women of color, particularly black trans women. I think that's such a key issue that still remains to be brought to the forefront within the community. I feel strongly about, especially given that when we think about Pride Month and the gay rights movement and where that launch had started, it was from trans women of color. Sylvia, 100%. Marsha P. Johnson, uh, Miss Major, right? Like these are folks who were the pioneers of the movement. And yet a lot of people forget that sometimes. And so right. definitely want to encourage our listeners to rewind to everything you said and to just do some research on these folks and really about the movement and where it really started. Because yes, we need to be advocating and speaking up more about this particular violence affecting trans women and trans people in general. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So in your opinion, why should people care about Pride Month? Yes, there's the parades. Yes, there's the celebrations. Now we have a lot of corporate companies sponsoring these events. Right. So, But in your opinion, why should people care about Pride Month? And what is its importance and significance to you? So I, I'll tell you, I actually hate how corporate Pride has become. It feels so weird to me to see, you know, every single company is going to change their logo to have some sort of rainbow color palette incorporated into it. And pride goes beyond so much more than that. I actually really, really like the sense of community around pride. People who know each other, just coming together, celebrating life, celebrating being their authentic selves, and just having a good time. Pride for me, especially New York pride, has become so corporate and they get such a priority in a lot of, particularly the march, that a lot of the community-based organizations kind of get filtered out of all of that activity, which is unfortunate because those are the organizations that really prop pride up every other month of the year. But why people should care about pride, it validates the lives of so many people when you're able to show up, show out, and be supportive of an individual like myself who has a boyfriend and to be able to celebrate that, that validates that it is okay for that person to live the life, their life the way that they choose. And it truly does save lives. It really does. I think people underestimate just how valuable it is to show up and just showing up for someone and just showing an interest in why this matters to that person validates them as a human being. I 100% agree. I. It's funny because I often tell people the most homophobic experiences I've ever had in my life have actually happened in New York City, surprisingly enough. And at the same time, the most liberating experiences <laughs> pride at New, right. New York City. And so and right. I think about a lot of the kind of additional events that other organizations, like you mentioned, other nonprofit organizations or different communities host. And those to me, in addition to the march, 
are just so crucial to like my identity, to building that community. I've met so many people through these events, people I didn't know outside of these, you know, this, this event, the celebration of pride. And I think New York in particular, because I've been to a couple other ones and I'm originally from Chicago. So I've been to Chicago one, but the New York one for me always has a special place in my heart. Might be because it was my first one, but I think that sense of community feels so real in right. maybe the city where the movement originated, right? Stonewall being in New York City. So I don't know if it's that's part of it, but it definitely feels a lot more special and unique in New York City. There are good things about it and there are bad things about it. You know, I harped on the fact that it, it's become corporate, at least the march has, but there are so many things that people probably aren't aware of that happen. You know, Pride isn't just one weekend, it's the entire month. And there's an entire month of activities that take place. There are movie nights, family movie nights, and it's not just about adults going out and drinking and getting drunk and acting a fool in the streets. There are so many things around showing kids that it's okay. These family-oriented movie nights, there are, you know, social meetups, across the city. There are concerts. I know, you know, the, the orchestra that I play in, we do our Pride concert the weekend before uh, the Pride March every year, or maybe two weekends before, actually. I think it's two weekends before. Unfortunately, we're not doing it this year because COVID. But that's something I look forward to, Go, you know, once things eventually go back to whatever the new normal will be. But there are just, there are so many different things. And so if the March isn't for you, there's something out there for you to be able to engage with that community. Something I just thought about, too, I just remembered this, is that in New York City, because you have the boroughs, each borough has its own pride, with the exception of the Bronx? Am I, if I'm they do. They do. Bronx, they do. It's, wow. it's fairly new. And okay. I'll be honest with you, as someone from the Bronx, I can understand why people don't go there. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you something. Three years ago, four years ago, when I was at the pride march i wasn't marching i was a, a spectator which i find to be more fun i just like so, to see all of the floats going by so just to clarify to our listeners we're talking yep. about the manhattan right city yes march, exactly the, the, the new york okay. exactly yeah so when i was in manhattan they still had representation from all of the other boroughs i mean there was at one point the puerto rican flag with the rainbow colors instead of the red and the white and i mean listen for someone like me I got emotional seeing it. It's not something that I would have associated. Those are two salient identities of mine. I am a Puerto Rican man. I am a gay man. But they don't always go well together just because of a lot of the cultural baggage I think that I have myself. But to see people representing that and represent the Bronx like that, it, it's just, it for me, it's amazing. I actually have that flag too. Shout out to my friend Elena, who bought me that flag in undergrad. She bought me the Puerto Rican flag. She's also Puerto Rican too. And I remember when I got it, I hung it up proudly in my dorm room. And I mean, it's a huge flag. It literally covered one of my entire windows. But I said, con orgullo, with pride, yeah. I'm going to hang that bandera up, you know, singing yeah. bonita bandera. <laughs> it's a traditional Puerto Rican song for folks who don't know about how beautiful the Puerto Rican flag yeah. is. And so to see the rainbow colors for me was also just like a nice blend of the two. Where I'm like, yes, something that actually yeah. I could be super proud of in terms of my racial ethnic identity, but also <laughs> my LGBTQ identity. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, we talked about the corporations sponsoring pride it's got to go beyond that, right? So for our listeners who are listening, who maybe don't identify as part of the community, what does advocacy look like for non-LGBTQ folks, either within Pride Month or even outside of Pride Month, right? What are some of the kind of things that come up for you as being the most important for advocacy purposes? 
one, which is something that I myself am trying to work on as well, is having an understanding of non-binary gender identities. And when you pigeonhole someone into one of those categories and they don't identify, what that could do to that person. It's something that I admittedly over the years have not been very educated about. And I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional about, especially as we are bringing in a, a new class at Cornell Tech, I am one of three people who bring our master's students in, into, the, into the programs, but creating a space where, a space and a culture where that is normalized, that not everyone falls into those two categories. More broadly, I think creating space and opportunities for people who identify as part of the LGBTQ community, have conversations with them, ask them questions, talk to them about their life experiences, get to know them as a person, not just as an employee, because so many of those life experiences, you bring that stuff with you to work. And if you as an employer have an understanding of what they're bringing with them to work, you can increase productivity, you can improve uh, on the culture of the entire office, you can create a community that's really something that's special. People want to enjoy going to work. I don't think we spend so much of our time at work, we spend more time at work and more time with our coworkers during the work week than we do with our loved ones. And so we wanna be in an environment where we feel comfortable, where we feel accepted and where we feel like we have a voice. Those are all really great things. I always encourage people to, particularly Cornell folks who are listening, right? Take a look at our LGBTQ CNG website who we collaborated with on this series. And so shout out to them, shout out to all of the other colleague network groups here at Cornell, because it is important to develop community and to just develop relationships with people who have similar identities, similar lived experiences as you do. And so, you know, shout out to them for collaborating with me and with our department to put this series together because these are the stories and exactly what you've shared so far is what other folks need to hear. So as we wrap up our conversation, as we wrap up our time together, I'm just wondering in terms of, because you shared a lot, you shared a lot of really great content (laughs) with everyone here. So I hope our listeners are taking notes and bringing this back to their offices, their departments, their workplaces. When you think about the legacy or the impact of pride, for future generations, where you want it to grow and evolve in the future? What immediately comes to mind for you? I want to see more young people getting involved. And I don't mean people, you know, there might be people listening to this who are saying, well, duh, you're young. And I, I totally <laughs> recognize that. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly early in my career. But when I say young people, I mean teenagers. You know, pride, again, pride is not about going out, getting drunk, and acting a fool in the streets. Don't get me wrong been there, done that, worn that t-shirt. It can be fun as long as you're being safe. But I'm talking more about the overall, the educational pieces, the community building pieces around pride, those types of activities. I'd love to see more teenagers getting involved. I mean, there are so many, even still in 2021, the homelessness rate is so much higher amongst LGBTQ members of the community. It's sad, it's scary. And I want, I want those individuals to know that they belong, they matter, and they're loved. I think everyone needs to hear that, especially even members of the community too, sometimes <laughs> where, uh, you know, sometimes with everything that's going on and as we're thinking about just the intersection of identities, not everyone is 
going into Pride Month, I feel, with the same kind of celebratory notion because there is so much that's going on when it comes to social justice, racial justice in this country, internationally speaking. And so I think there's just a lot that we're, as a community, as a collective coming into and just keeping that in mind for future Pride celebrations to be able to acknowledge and recognize that and at the same time be proud of who we are as members of the community. So Christian, I want to thank you so much for your vulnerability, for taking thank you to chat with us and to be a part of this show and this series. And just to kind of end off on a positive, lighter note, I just want to ask, how are you planning on celebrating Pride this year? I have a couple of things in mind. Um, So I'm actually going away this week, at the end of this week, for a week with my boyfriend and a bunch of our friends. They do this every year and this is kind of how they kick off Pride Month. So we're going to be going to Rehoboth Beach. And I am very, very excited. For those who don't know, Rehoboth Beach is one of the uh, gay destinations on the East Coast. There's a really, really nice community out on Rehoboth Beach. So many fun bars and and cute shops. And I'm getting my nails done on Friday. I'm going to have pride color nails for the week. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to spending time with my friends. Um, that's that's kind of our intro to it. You know, I, I have some friends who are part of the organization that that manages Pride in New York City. And I'm looking forward to participating in some of those events as well, albeit, you know, virtually. Is Cornell Tech doing anything? Not this year. You know, the, the year that we did March was, it was student run, or rather student initiated. And my former boss, Ray Lutsky, who's no longer with us, he's out on the West Coast now. He was kind of the, the staff point person that led the charge. But there are pictures, you know, if anyone's curious, there are pictures. We marched alongside, or we tried to march alongside, I believe the organization is called Kugala. Yes. It's the, or, yes, it's the organization for members of the LGBTQ community who are Cornell alum. So it was really fun. It was really special. Well, thank you once again, and hope you have a wonderful day and happy Pride. Thank you. Happy Pride. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cornell, as well as resources to honor and celebrate LGBTQ Pride Month, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Anthony Sis. My name is Toral Patel. Thank you for listening to the third episode of our special series, Beyond Binaries.